Well, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles or mobile devices or whatever you use to pull up Scripture to join me as we read in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing to look at some of the biblical one another commands. And we began last week with the supreme, the primary command, and that is not that we like one another, but that we love one another. Sometimes we don't like each other so much, do we? But we're to love one another. And this morning, we're going to look at being kind to one another and forgiving one another. I recently read where the writer C.S. Lewis once said that everyone thinks that forgiveness is a wonderful idea until they have someone to forgive then suddenly forgiveness isn't such a wonderful idea any longer. So I want us to explore a little bit this morning about what happens when kindness and forgiveness are absent from the daily movements and routines of our lives. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, first of all, beginning with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, your translation may say there that it may impart grace to other people, and that's really more of the literal straight from the Greek of the New Testament, that it may impart grace. Lots of times when we speak to people, we do not impart grace to them, do we? We seek to wound them. We like to impart some darts and seek some revenge and retribution and to carry out some measure of punishment. But Paul is inviting us here to impart grace to those. And grace, of course, is God's unmerited love or favor. We don't deserve it. Others don't deserve it. But we impart that love and that grace. Then verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Now that's a word that means long-standing resentment. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. That's a quick rising, sudden, passionate anger that blazes up very quickly, and, and just as quick, dies out. And then Paul writes for us to get rid of anger. Now that's a word that means a long-standing anger, or rage, or wrath. A person broods over it over the course of time, and they seek to, to or desire to find some revenge and punishment from it. So Paul says, get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger, brawling, and slander. Now, slander is oral defamation of character. When you libel someone, you've done it in written form. But when you slander someone, you have verbally um, basically said that their character is not what everyone else thinks it is. And then Paul ends it by saying, along with every form of malice. 
Then in verse 32, we get the positive command. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, turn over to Colossians, a couple of letters over one, another one of Paul's letters. And we read these words beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, we've got this image here of we're taking off one set of clothes and we're putting on a new set of clothes. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, there's that word, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity or in perfect harmony or in perfect maturity. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Now, you know Peter asked Jesus one time in Matthew chapter 18. He said, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone else? Seven times? Now, where did P Peter get that number seven? Well, you know, it was the teaching of the rabbis of ancient Israel and also of the prophet Amos that God only forgives you three times. Three strikes and you're out. And on the fourth time, you receive some punishment from God. That was the teaching of the rabbis and of the prophet Amos. So Peter's kind of expecting Jesus to commend him because he takes the number three, multiplies it by two, and adds one to good measure. Gets seven. Lord, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? And G I'm sure Peter's expecting a commendation from Jesus. And Jesus instead replies, No, Peter, you're to forgive your brother or your sister seven times 70. Now, there's some discrepancy in the original Greek language because some translations have it 77 times. And we don't know if Jesus said 77 times or seven times 70. If he said 77 times, he may have been pulling from the story in Genesis chapter 4, the first book of the Bible, about a character by the name of Lemek. And in Genesis chapter 4, Lemek says, I'm going to exact revenge on a man who has done harm to me 77 times. So if indeed Jesus said 77 times, he may have been pulling back from that story of Lemek in Genesis chapter 4 and essentially saying in the opposite fashion, we forgive people 77 times. But regardless of whether it was 7 times 70 or 77 times, we know that Jesus was trying to point out that forgiveness doesn't have any limits. We forgive to the same extent that God forgave us. And then Jesus does an interesting thing. In Matthew 18, he tells a parable. It's a parable about a servant who works for a king. This servant has embezzled millions of dollars of government money, tax money. 
He's embezzled that money, and the king finds out. And he's on the verge of throwing this servant into jail. When the servant gets down on his knees and he begs for time to repay the millions of dollars that he's embezzled of government money. Now, if that happened today, we wouldn't find a lot of mercy and forgiveness, right? You wouldn't even have a chance to repay it. You'd be sent to jail. You'd be tried, probably convicted. And if you could, perhaps, after serving a jail sentence, maybe pay the money back. But you know what this king does? I mean, it's amazing. The king forgives the debt. He just wipes it out and pretends that it's not there. Well, the man who's embezzled the money, who just got forgiven, you would think he would show a little mercy, right? But he goes and he finds another man who owes him about $10 and asks for it to be repaid. And when the poor fellow cannot even repay $10, this servant, who's just had millions of dollars forgiven him, takes the man and throws him into jail until he can repay the $10. Well, the king gets wind of what's happened. And he calls the servant in. And he reprimands him and he calls him, you wicked servant. And he throws this wicked servant into jail until he can repay the millions of dollars of tax money that he's embezzled. And that's when Jesus ends the parable by saying, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now we ought to pay attention to two words that Jesus used. One is forgiveness and one is heart. What does the word forgiveness mean? The word forgiveness in the Greek means that you cancel something. It means that you pardon something. It means that you let it go, that you let it be, that you leave it behind in contrast to seeking revenge or retribution like Lemek did in Genesis 4, 77 times. That's what forgiveness means. You cancel it, you pardon it, you let it go, you let it be. What does the word heart mean? Well, the heart, uh, when Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother from the heart, he was not talking about the, uh, the organ that beats. He was not talking about a feeling where love, you know, an emotion emanates. The heart, biblically, is the inner core of the person. The heart is the command center of the person. The heart is the will. The heart is where choices and decisions are made. So Jesus is saying here, just as we noted last week about love, that love ultimately is not an emotion or a feeling, but love is a choice. Jesus was noting that we make a choice when we forgive to let something go from the heart, from the command center. Why do we do it? Because God's graciousness to us in letting go and pardoning and canceling and forgiving our own sin. We let it go because of what God has done for us, and we also let it go because of what a lack of forgiveness does to us and to others ultimately. Now, I just want to throw out a possibility to you this morning. Here's something you really ought to think about. If you are struggling 
with forgiving someone, there's this anger or this built-up rage or bitterness or resentment deep within you. And you find yourself on occasion kind of acting out mentally or verbally or physically that rage, that anger, that bitterness. So we've got someone here you're really struggling to forgive. I want to suggest to you this morning that it could be the case, possibly, that you're really angry at someone else. It could be a significant person from your past with whom you still have some unresolved issues. And that person from your past and those unresolved issues are still fueling your unforgiving spirit. You really ought to pay real close attention when you get angry with someone and you can't find it within your heart to forgive that person. You really ought to take a long look into your past to make sure that there's not someone way back yonder that you're really angry with and for whom you've not been able to offer forgiveness and kindness and reconciliation. So, forgiveness. It's not a feeling like love. It's not an emotion ultimately. It's an act of the will. It's an act of the heart. It means we let go, we cancel, we leave behind the junk. Why? Because of the degree to which God has already forgiven us and it ultimately becomes a gift that sets us free and can set other people free who are caught up in that cycle too. Now, let's get down to the bottom line this morning. What happens to us individually, corporately, in our communities, in our churches, in our nation and in our world? What happens to us when forgiveness and kindness are absent? It's not rocket science, folks. It's really pretty simple. Here's what happens to us when kindness and forgiveness are absence or absent. We risk destroying long-term and long-time friendships. We risk destroying marriages and families. We risk destroying work systems, social systems, educational systems, and political systems. And yes, when kindness and forgiveness are not enforced, we risk destroying church families, communities of faith. I don't think I have to tell you this morning about the political rancor and ugliness and divisiveness that exists in our country and in our world today. That ugliness, that political rancor is pitting friends against friends and neighbors against neighbors and even family members against family members. And what you and I need to understand very clearly without any doubt in our minds is that most of the rhetoric that we're hearing in the social, political, economic, educational world, just pick the arena that you want to, most of the rhetoric that we're hearing today on all sides is distinctly unbiblical. And we might as well call it what it is. It is distinctly unbiblical, and it is not Christian. People write things today in emails, 
and in text messages and on social media that would never see the light of day formally in a phone conversation or in a personal one-on-one conversation. And folks, it's just plain wrong and it's plain sinful of how we have been sucked into a system economic, economically, educationally, socially, our political parties today on both sides. We've been sucked into something that is distinctly not biblical in orientation in how we are relating and talking to each other. We let the smallest and most insignificant of things said or done damage our fragile egos. And we quickly forget the words of Scripture to be kind to one another, to be compassionate to one another, to forgive one another. We forget those words as if they do not apply to us at all. And the last time I checked, if they apply to us and we don't practice it, it's called hypocrisy. So let's just don't fool ourselves when we do and say one thing and on the other side say, oh, but we believe this. And perhaps the greatest damage that occurs when we are on the outs with each other because of our lack of kindness and our unforgiving spirits, the scripture out of Ephesians that Paul wrote this morning tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said in Ephesians, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. When we do not show kindness and compassion and forgiveness and we have this uncivil way in which we relate to each other individually, corporately, in our communities and in our nation, when that occurs, we need to understand we grieve God's heart. Now, I don't know how it was with you when your children, if you had, have now children in the home or you had children in the home, I don't know how it was with you when they started fighting and feuding with each other and arguing and bickering. But when that happened in the Rogers household, it grieved our hearts. And my guess is when that happened between my brother and me years ago, it grieved the heart of my mom and my dad. We shouldn't fool each other into thinking that God's heart is not grieved when his children do not practice clearly what is written in his word to be kind to one another, to show compassion, to show love, to have that forgiving spirit. So this morning, I want to encourage you to take some words from the late Glenn Campbell. You remember the singer Glenn Campbell? Died about a year ago, sadly, of Alzheimer's. Glenn Campbell had a song years ago entitled, Try a Little Kindness. And I'd like to throw in the word forgiveness, too. Try a little kindness. Show a little kindness. Show a little forgiveness in your life. When you're driving along on the highway and someone cuts in front of you, assuming that it's not endangering you and you don't need to hit the horn to avoid a wreck, you're just hitting the horn to show your displeasure, how about showing a little kindness? And letting that driver in front of the lane in you 
When you get ready to walk into a building, how about opening up the door, even if it slows you down 30 seconds, and look each person in the face as they walk by and say to them, have a blessed day. I've never had one person that I've done that for that has not smiled back at me and said, thank you, you have a blessed day, you have a good day too. How about refusing to write ugly words on social media? How about refusing to read ugly words on social media? I'm going to be honest with you. I do not read the Bless Your Hearts column in our local newspaper any longer. Because number one, I don't think that you ever ought to write something you're not willing to sign your name to. And number two, a lot of what's in it is ugly, unkind, mean-spirited words. Refuse to read the unkind stuff that's out there. As the church sign says that I read about, tweet others as you would have them tweet you. Don't be too big to say to someone, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I messed up. I didn't realize what I said or did hurt you. I'm sorry. Don't be too big to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Show a little kindness. Show a little compassion. Show a little forgiveness. And let's all start for a change acting like we are Christians. They'll know we are Christians by our love, says the song. Let's just not talk a good game. Let's live it as well.